Today is October the 12th, right? Yeah, 2010. Remember, everyone, that we will not have Bible class this Thursday. We'll continue on our regular schedule the following Tuesday, but this Thursday, no Bible class. Let's prepare ourselves this morning or this evening. In our usual way, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you yet again for your faithfulness for providing us with another day of grace, a day that we can come and learn more about you because of the grace system of perception. We pray that you will help us to remember that this life is not about us. Indeed, it's about being able to glorify you through growing spiritually, taking in your word and applying what we learn. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I watched the news tonight. Uh Uh-oh, somebody said. And something that has become all too common occurred today. I don't know if you heard the news or not, but I think you all are aware of the... um, what the Congress passed, which is regards to uh, don't ask and don't tell. Y'all remember that? And that has been implemented and has been in force for a number of years, several years. And now there are questions about uh, trying to uh, abandon that and allow homosexuals to be open in um, in their lifestyle in the military. And I understand that today a judge, one single judge, uh, filed an injunction which means essentially, effectively, that that program is no longer in effect until something else happens. And what I'm, what distresses me is that uh, this will pass, tomorrow will be another day's news, and people will go on and on. But this is a, a very, uh, it's a broadside against the separation of powers. What we have is the legislative branch, which is the Congress, acquiescing and submitting to the judicial branch. It is the Congress that makes the law, and the judicial branch is to deliberate, but they are not to make law themselves. And this is essentially, uh, when one judge can do this, that is the same as uh, one, one, one judge uh, dictating policy, and this is all over the world. Our military all over the world is going to be affected by this. And even on the news, they say, well, we don't know what the Congress is going to do. We're just kind of in a holding pattern. What's going to happen? And I will, uh, my best guess is nothing's going to happen. I don't think the Congress is going to do anything. And the reason this has habitually been the case is that they don't do anything because they don't want to put their reputation or their um, their head on the chopping block if it goes bad. In other words, if they don't do anything, especially right before an election, uh, then people who would not like what they do 
uh, is not going to affect them. Nothing is going to happen until after the election. I can tell you that for sure. Well, I say for sure. I'm, that's my best guess. But even afterwards, uh, I don't think the Congress is going to act. And the reason is the same reason that they, don't, they no longer have a declaration of war. Because if they make a declaration of war, then they have to stand behind it. And if the war does not go well, then they'll take the heat. And they don't want to take any heat, so they don't do anything. Therefore, we have the, what we have today is one judge can set policy for the whole, for the whole military uh, worldwide. And if it should, if it was operating, the Congress does have the power, by the way, to rein in such things. Uh, they are the, the Congress is the one, according to the Constitution, that sets the jurisdiction for these courts. And at any time, they have that impeachment policy or that impeachment option that they can uh, take rogue judges and impeach them if they want to, or they can change jurisdictions. They have certain options, but I don't think that they're going to do any of it because uh, they don't want to rock the boat. They want to just keep a low profile and don't want really to take the responsibility that their office demands. One other little tidbit on tonight's news that said that the... That Wall Street, which is essentially the bankers, are doing great. They're uh, up. The uh, Dow Jones is up three percent, something like that. And the bonuses that they're receiving, this is the financial, the bankers and so forth, are up four percent. That's 144 billion dollars in bonuses that they're getting. And they said, as a side note, the economy is still struggling, but the bankers doing great. <laughs> Duh. Uh, uh, we just bailed them out to the tune of a trillion dollars. I hope that they're doing a little better. Anyway, um, I thought I, I would give you this because what's going to happen, like I said, this, this again, this day will fade very quickly. I don't suppose anything will happen except that now uh, homosexuals can uh, flaunt, if they want to, their lifestyle in the military and nothing can be done about it as far as what the Congress has passed because one judge uh, put an injunction and stopped the whole deal. So that's what we are pretty much accustomed to. Let's get to our, our scriptures here. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we are looking at, <clears throat> we're looking at verse, let me turn the page here. We're looking at all the very small, uh, the the short verses that have a lot in them. This starts actually at verse 16. Well, at least it's, it's, it sets up in verse 15. First Thessalonians 5:15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Then it says, Rejoice always. And we pick up our study here on rejoicing always. However, well, no, we're not quite there yet. I guess I'll just put on the board where we ended last time. You remember the list? We went all the way through this list. And before you can rejoice always, uh, you, there's something that you have to do. And that is, before you can uh, do that, you have to have some, uh, a, a certain amount of doctrine. 
before you are able to encourage those who would seek evil for evil uh, and uh, that they would seek to do good. The mature believer is able to consistently fulfill this command. What is the command up here? Well, we don't have it all the way up, but it's to rejoice. Now, we normally rejoice under good circumstances, under, under adverse circumstances, maybe not so much. But we are commanded to rejoice in all things, rejoice always, and we can't do that unless we have, at least in our soul, all of this, these types of doctrine. You can't just rejoice just because you're a believer. An ignorant believer, that would be one that is spiritually ignorant, is not going to have the capacity to rejoice because they lack the necessary doctrines in order to focus on, in order to maintain their security and their stability and their happiness. So we won't go over that again. That's just where we ended. So we'll start here. This is Lesson 71. What is the believer to do when he finds it hard to rejoice? Now, I don't know about you, but there are times that I find it very difficult to rejoice. Certain times, certain things can happen. It might, I don't know what it is for you that is difficult to rejoice. It might be mechanical breakdown. And that happens, doesn't it? And it seems to come at the worst time. Of course, there is never a good time for something to break down. I can remember a number of years ago, we had some people that were coming in from out of town to stay with us. And it was in the winter. It was very cold. And the day before they came, this was on a Friday, um, the water heater quit. No, no hot water. I had a very hard time of rejoicing about that because here you have people coming over. It's cold. They're going to be there a few days. They're going to take a shower or whatever. And when it's freezing outside and you take a shower and there's no hot water, <laughs> well, you understand the, the, what it is. Uh, it might be the refrigerator. Uh, these are things that we see as necessities wasn't that long ago. In fact, some of you can remember when, when this was a luxury to have air conditioning and hot water heaters and, and all the things that we take for granted today. So whatever it is, I know what, whatever area it is that really makes it hard for you to rejoice, we have to recognize that what, what we need to do in those times of weakness when we're, you know what we're really doing when we find it hard to rejoice? We're thinking human viewpoint. And for sometimes, for all of us, it's easier to think human viewpoint than others. So, whatever, uh, what, is, what is a believer to do when he finds it hard to rejoice? And this ties into the next verse, which has to do with prayer. When we are down and depressed, angry or implacable, all we need to do is rebound and ask God to give us the happiness we can't possibly muster up ourselves so we don't want to fake it we don't want to be a, a hypocritical and act be, have a face a fake smile and act like we're really able to to rejoice when we're really not we can't come up with it sometimes we have to acknowledge that and when we're not rejoicing always usually it's because of a mental attitude sin it might be doubt it might be fear it might be anger it might be a number of things so what we do, the first thing we do is what? We rebound. We acknowledge. I'm not happy. I am not a happy camper. My circumstances has, ha, have enslaved me. 
and I let them get me down. I'm not thinking divine viewpoint. But sometimes that's not enough. We are to make known to God what our requests are. And we want to have that stability. We want to have that confidence. We want to have that happiness, be able to rejoice in all things. But if we don't have it, we don't have it. So we ask the Lord, I want to obey this command to rejoice always and ask Him to give you that, that joyfulness, that inner happiness. And do you think He'll answer that kind of prayer? He will do it, but He's not going to wave a magic wand. If you don't have the doctrines already in place that we just went over, that list, then God isn't going to just boop, magically uh, give you the ability and the capacity to rejoice. You have to have those in place already, but the Holy Spirit will give you that power and that, that contentment. Sometimes we think when it says rejoice always, it doesn't. Remember what I told you the other day? I said, we don't want to be silly about this. Whenever you're going home from church or you're out on the road and the motor falls out of the, out of the car, you don't want to just you know, start singing glory, hallelujah, and it's wonderful and it's not that type of thing. Sometimes it's that inner peace and confidence that it's talking about rather than what our natural inclination is what? Grit your teeth, get angry. Well, some of you might not get angry. Maybe you get into self-pity. Whatever it is, it's a mental attitude sin. That's when you're at your weakest, and weak, weakest point. And so we have to ask the Lord to give us what we can't come up with on our own. Concentrating on current blessings we possess like Eternal life, imputed righteousness, and logistical grace helps us to rejoice. So if you're going home, the motor falls out of the car, and you're stranded there on the side, there's a host of things that you can think about in a negative way. But because that motor fell out doesn't mean that you no longer have eternal life, does it? Doesn't mean that you no longer have God's righteousness, does it? Does it? And here's, here's the, the most uh, applicable one here. And that is, you still have logistical grace, don't you? You might not have a motor in your car working right now, but you're God's child and He's going to see to it that you get what you need. And it could be that He's just showing you off to the angels. You have advanced enough doctrinally where now He can allow adversity come into your life so that you can focus on the doctrine, think divine viewpoint, even in adversity. And He may be wanting to promote you. And if you think of that, most of the time, let's be honest, when the motor falls out, hits the ground, there's sparks, and we get off the road and we're stranded somewhere, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is not going to be, thank you, Lord, I know that you're going to provide for me here. Uh, maybe you think that way, but normally I don't. Gnash my teeth. Ah! I want to blame somebody. I want to get angry. I want to get out and beat the car. Yeah, y'all laugh because you understand. You you can relate to that, right? That's what uh, real smart people like me do. We get out and start kicking the fenders, beating our fist on the hood, and next thing we know, we have a sore foot and a sore hand. It doesn't really help that much. But it's usually right along in then that I start thinking, Oh yeah, I, I'm a child of God, aren't I? Yeah, that's right. I have logistical grace, don't I? Yeah, that's right. God never leaves me or forsakes me, does he? No, he's right there right now. 
He's going to provide for me, and I'm going to claim those promises that He's going to see me through this. And you start thinking of thinking in terms of the doctrine that you possess. And here's the thing. I've said this so many times. I don't know about you, but I can't think, I can't concentrate on the trouble and on the Lord at the same time. If I'm concentrating on the trouble, guess what? It gets bigger and bigger. And I get worse and worse. But if I'm thinking on God, and I'm thinking about His blessings, what He can do and all this, guess what? The trouble gets smaller and God gets bigger. And some people say, well, I can't help it. But that's not true. You can choose to decide on what you're going to focus on in any given situation. You can choose to focus on the problem and whose fault it is and how unfair it is and get into uh, complaining and bickering and all the rest. Or you can choose to think doctrine. If you think about doctrine, this becomes really incidental. Focus on, focusing on the blessings which are yet in our future will also give us the ability to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. But see, you can't focus on the blessings which are yet to come if you don't know about those blessings. That's why the knowledge of doctrine is what is going to be able to sustain you even in adversity. That's why we're here on a Tuesday night. You may be just in your regular mode and there's not anything that's really crushing down upon you right now as far as circumstances. So why are you here? Well, we're here because we're commanded to grow in grace and knowledge, but more than that, or not more than that, but at least uh, part of that is we are acquiring what we need now under normal circumstances to be able to cope and endure in times of adversaries, uh, adversaries and, and uh, adverse situations. We're preparing now because, you know what, it's too late once it already hits. Once you're in a crisis, you can't say, okay, I better hurry up and learn some doctrine. It doesn't work. You've got to already have it. So here's a, few, here's a few verses. We have Psalm 59, verse 16. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Can you claim that? I don't know if you can or not, but it's possible to. This is no doubt, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that this is probably a psalm of David. And to recognize that the Lord is your strength, and he says, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For our, the Lord is our stronghold and refuge even in the day of my distress. Then we have Psalm 30, 30 verse 5. For his anger is but a moment. This may be referring to divine discipline. His favor is for a lifetime. Even when you are experiencing divine discipline still, you don't lose favor with God. Now, there are a lot of parents these days that are not parenting correctly. And when they discipline their children, they do it in anger. And really, at the time that they're beating the daylights out of them, they are extremely angry and the child has fallen into disfavor with the parents. But that is poor 
parenting. The right kind of parenting is to discipline a child very objectively, unemotionally, training the child that this is the system that he is under and he better adapt. You see, if you discipline your child in anger, he's going to think you're just trying to get back at him rather than recognizing that you're trying to teach him something. So his favor lasts for a, a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. In this, of course, the analogy would be when you're in the adversity, it's like being in the dark night. Have you ever been alone in the wee hours of night? Maybe you felt horrible physically. Maybe there was something that was pressing in on your soul and you couldn't sleep. And you never felt so alone. And sometimes you might not feel God's presence there. You might not be feeling Him then. However, it is the doctrine that you know that will sustain you. And then, of course, in this analogy here, in this, in this comparative analogy, the morning is when you get through it. And God is always going to see you through it. Now, you might have a few battle scars. God or no one else that has any sense will ever say that you're going to get through this life without suffering or without pain. But you can always look forward to that shout of joy in the morning. This too shall pass. So when you have pain, when you have adversity, knowing that God has never left you and never will, and this too shall pass, and there will be a shout of joy in the morning. This is some of the things that enable you to rejoice always. Then we have the, the next part. The next verse is verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. Pray is the Greek word prosukomai, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. And it's a verb, and it's the present middle imperative. Now, the present tense means keep on praying. And the imperative mood means it's a command. And that middle M there, the middle voice, means that the subject produces the action of the verb and it's reciprocal. You're doing it and it's affecting yourself. And you are blessed by this. You are benefited by it. So it means to pray to God or to offer prayer. And then we have the next uh, word. It's one word in the Greek, two in the English. It says pray without ceasing. And here we have adialeptos. That's A-D-I-A-L-E-I-P-T-O-S. It's an adverb, and it means continually, without intermission, incessantly pray, which means to pray Every time an opportunity presents itself and to be a constant attitude of dependence on God is to have that constant attitude. You know, I think sometimes when we pray, we don't have to get in any particular uh, posture and we don't even have to bow our head. And we, It is an attitude of prayer. When you are 
I do this all the time. I hope that you do too. Someone will tell me that there's a need for prayer, whatever it is. And usually I pray for them right then. Either Usually it's silent prayer, but if there's other, there, other people, I may pray out loud. But then the whole rest of the day, they're on my mind. And I have an attitude of prayer. They may be going through surgery. They may be going through whatever adversity it may be. And they're on your mind. And I just send up little blips like, uh, I, I'm thinking about this person. Help this person, Lord, or whatever it may be. You know what I'm talking about? That is an attitude of prayer and dependence upon God. I think that's what this is talking about. This is the opposite of the way Hollywood presents prayer. Often you'll see a rugged leading man go to the Lord in prayer with an attitude that he is bothering the Lord with his problem. You ever seen this before? I've seen it I don't know how many times. It's, it's like the, the, the movie gets to a, a, a place that is pivotal, it's a crisis. And usually, if it's, I know it's, if it's a cowboy scene, they'll get down off the horse and they'll walk over and they'll take their hat off and they'll look up towards Lord, to heaven and say, Well, Lord, you know, I know we haven't talked very often and I, really, I know you're busy. I really don't want to bother you, but uh, I, I think I need to say something long about it. Some, they'll say those type of lines. You ever heard that before? Well, people go to movies. They don't go to church. At least they don't go to church to get doctrine. And a lot of them think, well, this is what you need to do. Uh, You don't want to bother the Lord with small things, trivial things. Even on talk shows, I've heard them banter back and forth about God. And and usually, especially if it's an atheist there or an agnostic or a believer even that doesn't have any doctrine, they'll be talking, maybe prayer will come up and they'll say, well, the last thing you want to do is bother the Lord with that. I mean, he's running the universe. The last thing he wants to do is be bothered with your little pity problems. But that's contrary to what the Word says. That's what I'm trying to show you. And this is prevalent. You see it throughout society that people think, well, you pray when there's a crisis because you don't want to bother God. He's got things to do. And so you only pray under certain circumstances and some people think, well, if I'm going to pray, I have to go to the chapel. I have to go to the church. I have to go to the priest. I have to go somewhere. No. This is saying just the opposite. When it says, well, let me get to the next, this next paragraph and it'll explain it a little better. This is a quote from um, Walford and Zuck with uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is what he says. Continual prayer is not prayer that prevails without any interruption. In other words, when it says it's not praying constantly, that's, that's all you do, or you're in a mode of prayer. That doesn't even make sense. That's not what it's about. But prayer that continues whenever possible. The adverb for continually, which is a dialectos, also in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, was used in Greek of a hacking cough. Paul was speaking of maintaining continuous fellowship with God as much as possible in the midst of daily living in which concentration is frequently broken. Have you ever had a, a nagging cough? Have you ever tried to go to sleep with a nagging cough? I can remember having nagging, and I'd lay in bed, and I'd say, I am not going to cough. And I'd lay there for about 30 seconds. <laughs> That's the way the prayer should be. It's an attitude of 
consciously thinking about the Lord and depending upon Him. That's what the Lord wants. He wants us to depend on Him. He wants us to talk to Him. The last thing, the furthest thing, is that we bother God when we go to prayer. Even over the smallest things, the little bitty things. Have you ever prayed that uh, uh, for a chicken? I mean, a chicken in our society really isn't that high on the social scale, is it? But, uh, well, I, I liked what uh, what the... What is it called? The Glory Bee Girls? Yeah, what, what Karen Pennison, she goes on and on about this chicken that she... And she was praying for that chicken. Do you know that some people would roll their eyes at that? Is God concerned about a chicken? Absolutely. He's concerned about a sparrow that falls and no one even sees it. People just get... They don't give God enough credit. They don't know how much He loves you, how much He is into you, how much He knows about every thought, every decision, every action, everything that goes on with you. Every day, God is there. He knows it and He's watching. And He's just waiting for someone to get enough doctrine to where they can come to Him constantly with this attitude and throwing up a little blip here, a little bit there, a little thank you. Not just, will you do this, will you do that? How many times a day do you thank the Lord? Have you ever thanked the Lord for making a green light? Well, y'all wouldn't understand about that. By the way, over the last two weeks, going down FM 389, I am convinced that slow drivers cause more wrecks than fast drivers. For whatever that's worth, I thought I'd throw that in. Okay, that doesn't. That was no extra charge for that. I just thought I'd throw that in. It has to do with prayer, I guess. Some, somewhere in there, there was prayer. Philippians chapter four, verse six: Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He wants us to go to Him and give Him our requests. Not a bother. It's actually a command. This is what He wants us to do. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we have something within us. It's a desire, but it's hard to articulate. Sometimes we go to the Lord in prayer, and it's hard to put in words. That's why a lot of people don't pray, because it takes concentration. True prayer does. Now, if you're just reading something that somebody else wrote in a songbook and everybody else is reading along with you, I want to gag when I see that happening. I've gone to a few places where they do that, and I refuse to, to read along with everybody else. And it's not going to do me any good because all I'm doing is rebounding because I'm already angry. It just I think, this is a bunch of foolish fluff. These people, are, they don't even know what they're, they don't know what it means. And I don't even like the sound of it. It's not in unison. Someone's always lagging behind or someone's going ahead and it's, it goes out there and it just sounds like a lot of noise to me. This is liturgy. It's not, as far as I'm concerned, now maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody's out there and they're really concentrating on every word and they're right in harmony with it and it's really getting through. 
but it's not me. I think God wants to hear what you have to say, not what you read out of some hymnal or some other prayer book. We make our requests known to Him. When was the last time you asked the Lord to be a better father, a better mother, a better friend, whatever it may be? There's nothing that we can't ask Him. Nothing. And don't try to hide it. He already knows it. And we need to take the time sometimes to sit down, kneel, stand, whatever it is, and articulate it in words. Words are very important. And when you take the time to articulate what your true desire is and what's really bothering you, it helps. Now, we can't always do it as good as we like, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up the slack. He knows what you want. He knows what you're trying to articulate. Takes up the slack. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we have in everything give thanks. And we have the Greek word here, eucharisteo. E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-E-O. Anybody remember what the E-U on the front of that word means? Yeah, good. E-U on most words like this means good. Now, this one ought to really be familiar to you. It's where we get the word Eucharist. You know, we have the, the Lord's Supper, we have communion, and we have the Eucharist, and those are all synonyms for the same thing. But this Eucharisteo, you have E-U, which, mean, which means good, and then you have kara, which means thanks, as we'll see. This is a present active imperative. So again, we say rejoice always, and now we have what we have in everything, give thanks. So we have eucharisteo, keep on doing this. It means to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, to give thanks. That's, when we think about communion and the Eucharist, this is the main thing, is that we are pausing. We are putting our life on hold. Everything else is wiped out in our mind, and we are going to focus totally on what Jesus Christ has done for us and what He's going to do for us and what He's done for us already. So, And what does that foster in us or what it should foster? A sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's why they call it the Eucharist. It means good joy or good thanks. The two previous commands deal with time, saying always seek and rejoice always. These are elements of time, always. Christians are to give, uh, but, oh, but this one deals with circumstances. When it says always give thanks, it's talking about in every set of circumstances. It doesn't have the time element. It has circumstances as the focus. Christians are to give thanks to God in every circumstance of life. And this ties in with rejoicing always. And now it says give thanks in everything. Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances 
I am. This is something that must be learned. And the only way to learn it, the only way to do it is by what you're doing right now and what you have done over and over and over again. People don't know, well, why do these people go to church all the time? And they think they'd rather be in prison than go to church as often as you go to church. And the reason is because they're not getting anything out of their church to begin with. If they did, they would have a different attitude. But we continue to go because we have to learn how to be content and to have that eucharisteo in every set of circumstances. It won't happen short of putting time, a lot of time, into learning. It doesn't happen overnight. There are three specifics, specific things that are the will of God for you. People are, well, what is the will of God for me? Here's three of them given right, boom, boom, boom. Rejoice always, two, pray without ceasing, and three, give thanks in everything. That is the will of God for you. It's the will of God for me. God wants us to be happy campers. He wants us to have confidence and courage, stability, all these things. And all of them are linked. They go hand in hand. Here's a few scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks for all things. Now, if most of us were honest, we could say, we always give thanks for good things. Well, probably we don't all even do that. There is a, a vacuum when it comes to gratitude these days, especially in the young people because the young people aren't being trained properly. But we are to always give thanks for what all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13:15. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to His name. Did you all know, you remember we sing the song, We give the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice. You ever heard that? I guess you knew that was biblical. Well, here it is. This is the verse right here. I don't. I, I guess for some people it's a sacrifice, but this is what the Lord wants. He wants to be praised. He wants it to be legitimate. He wants it to be real, and He wants to hear it from your lips that you praise Him, and not only when He gives you the good things, but also when you experience the bad, He still wants to hear praise. Remember what Job is all about, the book of Job? That was the issue. Satan said, yeah, the reason that Job is praising you now is because you're getting all the goodies. You take that away and he'll curse you. God said, okay, let's see. Take anything you want, but you can't take his life. And in the end, Job got the picture. Here's a quote. Uh, it's from the... Encyclopedia of 7,700 illustrations. from the church of, This came from the Church of England. And this is what it says. It's, the heading is thankful after robbery. Matthew Henry, have y'all, any of y'all heard of Matthew Henry before? The commentary and so forth? Uh, Matthew Henry, the famous scholar, was once accosted by thieves and robbed of his purse. 
He wrote these words in his diary, quote, Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now, he had it together. Now, you see that red star? Okay, you don't see many of them. A person cannot give thanks in every situation apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit and doctrine in the soul that gives us the ability to continue in hope and confidence in God, even in adversity and when attacked by evil. This is what we give thanks for. When it says give thanks in everything, in all things, every situation, we're not thanking God. Thank you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that my friend knifed me in the back. I'm so thankful that the motor fell out of my car. I'm so thankful. That's not what we're giving thanks for. What we're giving thanks is for the ability to continue in hope and confidence towards God. It's that we are able to do that that we're thanking God for. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to continue in hope and confidence in God. That is what we should be so thankful for. Do you understand this? It doesn't depend on you. You don't have to grit yourself, grit your teeth and say, "By golly, I know the chips are down, but I'm going to, I'm going to grit it out. I, I'm going to continue to, to, to trust the Lord." The heck you are. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but do it, and that's what we're thankful for. It doesn't matter what comes into your life. God has given us the ability to keep on trusting, having confidence, not getting bitter, not getting full of self-pity, not getting into to criticizing and, and grumbling and complaining. He has given us the ability to continue to trust and have confidence in Him no matter what. That's what sees us through. You get that? That's why the red star is there. Because a lot of people think that we're supposed to actually thank you, God, that um, my house burned down. Well, do you really thank the Lord that your house burned down? No, that's not what we're, we're not thankful that adversity hits. What we're thankful for is that we can have confidence and continue to trust the Lord that He's going to see us through to the other side. And when we get through it, we're going to be better. We have, we're going to be stronger. He's purifying us so that He can give us more rewards. Believers cannot obey this command if they are not aware of this promise, this promise that I'm giving you here, Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. If you don't know that principle, if you don't know God enough to trust Him with that verse, then you're not going to be able to rejoice always or be give thanks in all things. 
what you give thanks for is that God picks up the slack in all of our weaknesses. And when we don't have it in us to be thankful for anything, we can always be thankful. What did I say earlier? We have eternal life. We have His righteousness. We have logistical grace. We have the confidence that He's allowing this to happen in our life so that we can exercise those spiritual dynamics that we've learned. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful that He will never let us down. I don't know, I just thought that deserved a red star. Because so many times people get it wrong. They think, oh, well, I'm supposed to be thankful that I was fired unjustly. Now I don't have any income. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that we can be thankful that we can continue to trust God. Do you have a personal sense of destiny? Can you see through the storm the other side that God has promised you all these things if you just continue? How many, how many verses we have here? Okay, I'm going to end on this one. Y'all look kind of sleepy tonight. Wake up. We've still got a couple of minutes left. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing happens by chance because God is in control of everything. Part of God's will for us is for us to suffer. Get that. Understand that. You're not going to get through this life without suffering. So when you do suffer, don't act like some wild, strange thing has happened. We're all going to suffer. That in itself goes quite a ways in keeping you out of a, the pity party. But here's Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Romans 8.17. And if children, if we're children... Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. What do you see in this verse? What did I just give you? I gave you the fact that this has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with rewards and decorations. See, reigning. Heirs. Being an heir, it, what's it, what, what is it uh, that an heir is? An heir is an inheritor. He's talking about inha- inheriting heaven rather than inhabiting heaven. And that's why he, he, he makes it on this only supposition or, or it's, it's just a potential. If we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. But if you suffer and you're complaining and you're bickering and you're angry and you're blaming everybody... Don't count on rewards. And don't count on many friends sticking with you either. Nobody likes to hear constant complaining. Then we have James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, 2, 3, 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Do we need endurance? Absolutely. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect. That means complete, or a finished product, and complete, lacking in nothing. So, we're beginning to see that these few 
very sharp, pithy statements that are given here, these commands, have a lot to do with the way that we are to fulfill the Christian way of life. And when we get to... Oh, I had another good uh, quote I'll give to you next time. When we get to the... Uh, well, I won't, we won't be in First Thessalonians again until next Tuesday. But when we get back next Tuesday, we have some just more very short verses. One of them is... Do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you really know about that? What, is it, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? And what is the difference between um, uh, when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you can either uh, quench the Spirit, or what else can you do? Grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, is, it, is grieving the Holy Spirit the same as quenching the Holy Spirit? I mean, is there any difference? What's the deal? We'll find out next Tuesday. So, let's, let's close. Father, thank You for this time. You've given us these commands, and we're so thankful that You, do not, you never give us a command that You don't give us the wherewithal in order to fulfill it. We can't go one centimeter in the spiritual life apart from the Holy Spirit's power and His enabling us to fulfill these commands. So we pray that You will help us to be ever vigilant in maintaining that spirituality through rebound so that we will be able to fulfill these commands. And we thank You for all of this and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.